Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to simplecast.com, first and last word in podcasts, who have kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. Today we are speaking to David Gonzalez, who is the perfect example of a software developer who has embraced public speaking. Not only has David jumped in feet first, but English isn't even his first language. And he's a really great example of someone who can take public speaking and the fear of public speaking and turn that into something that they are proud of. So without further ado, let's speak to David. David, it is great to have you here today on the Fireside with Fox Gig podcast. Welcome. Welcome, Richard. Thank you. <laughs> you have spoken a lot at many, many technical events, but I'm kind of interested in how you got started. And maybe not the first time you spoke, but maybe the first time you gave a technical talk. Where did that happen? And in what language? You might have spotted by my accent. I am a Spanish speaker, so I came to Ireland about nine and a half years ago. And my first time giving a technical talk was in your meetup, actually, in the microservices meetup in Dublin. So why I got started on that? Well, in a way, I think it's a very valuable skill to have. I mean, us developers, we are super focused on the coding, but we are not so much focused on the public presence and on the, um, you know, get into stressful situations yourself and try to get out. And that is super valuable for a long-term uh, career, in my opinion. So that's wanted to push myself. So your first technical talk was in a second language, English? Yes, correct. Wow. <laughs> so how did you feel? Had you, had you spoken before in Spanish? Or was it kind of the first time, first time? No, it was the first time, first time wow. it was in English. Um, actually, it's, it's a bit of cheating because when I was in high school, I did some sort of drama okay, okay. in Spanish. But it wasn't anywhere close to a technical talk. So my first one was in English, and I used to work with one guy called Alex Nord, and he always repeat the same phrase, if it hurts, do it more. And that's what I did. <laughs> so my first technical talk was a disaster. It was bad. It was poorly planned. No code demo. And at some point, I was like, this is a disaster. So I finished the talk, and then instead of backing up and saying, I'm not going to do this anymore, I kept doing it, and I kept doing it, and even more and more. And I think that is the best medicine for when you do something bad, to be honest. Your experience is kind of what I, I encourage a lot of people to do if they're thinking of getting into public speaking as a, as a technical speaker, which is meetups are so safe. Yeah. Right? They're really safe, aren't they? They are, yes. Because people, chances are you're going to be familiar to them or it's going to be friends or colleagues or ex-colleagues. And if you mess up big time, no problem. If you mess up in a TED talk, then you have other problems. So you did a few meetups first, I guess, and yeah. kind of got, got into the swing of it. Does it still hurt? No, actually, <laughs> uh, the thing is, um, I started with meetups, local meetups, Node.js, microservices, AWS, 
and so on. And then I started applying for conferences, RebelCon in Core, which is a fantastic conference. And then the summon was in Jay's days in Dublin last year. So I'm, I'm a bit ashamed to, do, to say that. And Remo, forgive me, please. So yeah. I pretty much did not prepare the talk because I didn't have time. So I just put the slides together, didn't do any rehearsal, just went to the stage and talked about something that I'm doing every day, eight hours a day, if not more, that I like, that I love, and that you know, I'm very confident with. So the speaking local meetups and speaking local smaller groups helped me to get the nervous on the stage. And then my day-to-day coding experience helped me to actually know what I'm talking about. And surprisingly, people seem to enjoy that talk. And it's actually in YouTube. So I think the, the link can be shared as well. So, oh, yeah, yeah. We'll put it all up. Absolutely. <laughs> well, okay. So, I mean, I think you're touching on an interesting point here, which is, I mean, there's obviously you've got to practice and you've got to get used to speaking. And, and yeah. you know, tech meetups are a good place to start. But if you're also talking about something you care about and you're talking about technical stuff that you you kind of know really well that's a good predictor for whether the talk will be successful yeah i think so too i think you need to feel confident with the subject you're talking about and one thing i do on every single of my talks when the equipment um, allows me to do it it's always a code demo or i do a demo at the end or live coding or something like that because that gives you the confirmation of the things that you have been speaking about for example in the Node.js meetup in Dublin, one of the talks I gave was about serverless, and I spoke when I would use serverless, when I would not use serverless. And the demo at the end of the talk was how to build and know your customer system using serverless in 30 lines of JavaScript. And that is kind of like, oh, yeah, that's the thing that you told us like 10 minutes ago. So, Okay, so let me get it straight, because I don't do live coding. I mean, I've, I've I tried a few times, yeah. and... Um... I, I just couldn't handle it. It was too, it was too stressful. But uh, you're <laughs> suggesting an interesting tactic, right? Which is maybe where I was going wrong. I was kind of doing it in the middle of the talk and then yeah. doing speaking and then trying to do some and then swapping between my slides and the editor. And it, yeah, it, was, it, was, it wasn't good. So you do it at the end. Yeah. You do the slides first and then, then the coding. Exactly. Yeah, it's just a better practical approach. I think so, yeah. And uh, it's funny because I'm also, as a consequence of being a public speaker, I am lecturing in college as well, um, higher education. Ah. So it resembles a class. So in a class, you first go with the theory. This is how I do things. This is why I do things this way. And then towards the middle end of the class, what you do is you just give them an example, code or something like that. You cannot in a class give them a very complex piece of code and expect them to understand. So you need to build them, to build the, the code with them at the same time. So I took that idea and I applied that obviously at a much lower scale because a class is two hours and a meetup might be one hour at best. So at a much lower scale, I build something or I have some code prepared, which I show live and that seems to be going down very well. Well, let's talk about that for a minute because <laughs> you obviously got a lot of confidence from the meetups. Yeah, because now you're lecturing at a third level institute. Well, tell, tell us about that. How, how is that different? And, and is it more work? Is it easier? Is it harder? It is actually the same work as preparing one meetup because, you see, you need to have a presence on the stage, whether you are in the class or you are in a meetup. You need to be confident and you need to be able to transmit what you want to transmit. One of the biggest problems, or not biggest problems, it's, it's how the world works and happens here, happens everywhere in the world is that many of the lecturers are from the academia world. So they, they lack the professional practice, which is not bad because they are 
sometimes and many times actually excellent lecturers. But one thing that the students like a lot is you speaking about something that you understand and you use every day. So in order to prepare that class, I almost need to go up to the level of a meetup or a public talk or a public speaking or something like that. So I always do the same, put the material together. I don't use the slides for the classes. I think the slides um, will actually get the people out of the focus. So what I use is a whiteboard. Now, in terms of COVID, what I use is pretty much a browser, showing them URLs and something like Excalidraw or draw.io for drawing my diagrams. And, um, you know, develop concepts and then towards middle of the class, end of the class, put code around those concepts. So, for example, last week, I'm doing now a course on machine learning as a lecturer. So I told them about the theory of the things that we are doing. And then I showed them an example of how we can classify text as positive or negative, depending on a training set and how it all works together. So I think it makes a lot of sense. It's good training as well. It's, I assume it's a weekly lecture that you have to give. Yes, exactly. So you're practicing public speaking every week and you get paid yes. for it, which is kind of cool. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of speakers don't get paid, right? Yeah. Of course, you do have to mark exams and yeah. projects, don't you? That's the other side of it. Yeah, I did some of that myself a couple of years ago. It's hard work. You have a lot of responsibility. It is, actually. And um, that responsibility gets me nervous because when you're marking an exam, funny thing is I have now about 250 exams um, to be marked. And I cannot mark them, obviously, all of them in, in a row because what's going to happen is that I'm going to be exhausted. It's going to take me like 20 hours to do. Yeah. But if I mark them on different days, I need to make sure that I am on the same mood because otherwise it might affect the marking. Yeah. So yeah. it is a tricky one. <laughs> so avoiding, you have to avoid bias. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's an interesting challenge. Yeah. And you mentioned as well now with, with, the, with, the, with the virus, of course, you're doing it virtually. Yes. But you spoke at, I think it was the London Node user group recently? Correct. That's right. And, and that was virtual. So yeah. I'm really interested to hear about that. How did that go? So this is like the virtual meetup experience now. Well, it's actually funny because the meetup setup itself, it was fantastic. It was done by Adam Davis, one of the engineers at Nearphone, and it couldn't have been better. Uh, we used something called remote.co to organize a remote conference. Uh, and it went well. But funnily enough, it was the first time ever that my coding a part wasn't as planned. So I had a couple of failures and it didn't work out totally in the end. Yeah. But the overall experience was pretty good because even though it didn't work as I was expecting, it worked up to an extent that I could totally make clear what I was explaining. So I think people, even though they were not wowed, they were satisfied with the result of it. So it went very well. And it's funny because uh, one of the biggest problems that people have when they are starting into public speaking is like, I'm okay to talk in front of 20 people, but I really don't want to talk in front of 300 people. But they don't realize it is absolutely the same. Yeah. Many years ago, I remember reading one book, which I cannot even remember the title, but there was one phrase and it was one of those Zen philosophy books. It's, it's something like when the archer fails the shot, he looks toward the arrow inside him. This is the same. So you are shooting. You really don't want to blame the amount of people you have in front for the things that you do well or bad. It doesn't matter if you have 20, 300, or two. It's the same. That's a really inter interesting point because what, what happens, and this has happened to me, I, I don't know if it's happened to you, as once you start speaking more regularly, you get invited to speak at various places. Yeah. And sometimes, especially if you go to a meet I like speaking at meetups. 
I, I, mean, I, I mean, I speak mostly at conferences now, but I still like speaking at meetups because they're, they are small and it's really intimate and you can, you can talk to people and you can get good feedback. And it's a way to kind of do trial runs of conference talks. Uh, but sometimes you might get invited to a meetup and there's like five people. With yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, you know, especially meetups in summer, uh, it's probably not an issue this year, right? But sometimes meetups that happen in, in May or June or July and the weather is really nice in Northern Europe. Yeah. <laughs> and you get five people turn up. But you still have a duty to give the same talk, right? To give the same energy and passion. That is why I usually don't prepare talks. What I do is I put the material together and then I deliver the talk according to the, to the place where I'm delivering the talk. And that means if I have 20 people, I don't make it personal. If I have four people, which it happened to me, I almost involve every attendee into the talk. So it's kind of changing the registry, but the, the message is the same. Yeah. Having that flexibility is, is really nice. Yeah. I'm just interested in, in your experience as a speaker at, at the Elno Group, right? This virtual meetup. Wait, it was two weeks ago you did this? Yes, correct. And were you the only speaker? Were there other speakers? No, we actually were three speakers. Uh, three speakers. Yeah, one woman from Israel called Tamar, which did a fantastic talk about uh, Node.js workers and its performance. Then Anna from the Node.js uh, Technical Steering Committee, which did a rehearsal of the 12 years of Node, which was actually Node.js birthday. And then it was my talk about DevOps and ready Node.js applications. So the experience was actually quite satisfying because we went from a localized audience in London, even though I'm based in Dublin, to speakers, from, to attendees from London, from Brazil, from Ireland, from Italy. And it was fantastic because you see something which otherwise would have been local which is the local non, uh, London node uh, users group into a world type event. And the effort was about the same. It's interesting. Yeah. I wonder what that means for meetups, right? Because I mean, the local meetups, obviously there is a, it is nice to meet people locally that are interested in the same thing that you are. And, you yeah. know, this beer and pizza and all that sort of stuff. But do you think future meetups now will, will maybe people will do live streaming more frequently or? Have remote speakers? I have a theory around that. I think meetups started as a way of networking because you live in Dublin, like is my case, and you want to know people in Dublin and you want to know people who work in companies in Dublin. So if tomorrow you want to switch jobs, you know people around. Yeah. Now that has changed as well because many companies are going remote. And even without COVID, many companies started to go remote like two or three years ago. So I think the local meetups are a... Uh, reminiscent, like kind of a leftover of the localized world. I think COVID has been the biggest digital transforma transformator ever in the society, and it will be for a long time. So I think, or at least the meetup that I run in Dublin, which is the Google Cloud meetup, um, it's going to be for sure local because you want to see people, but we will be streaming that through YouTube, and we will allow people to attend from other countries and other places, for sure. It's just going to be fantastic to see. Kind of takes them up to the next level. Yeah, I, I, I'm just I'm really interested in the, in how it was run though. So, was the organizer moderating? Yes. Did the organizer come on between talks to introduce? How did that all work? Basically, the organizer on on the platform that they use was the exact same as the organizer in a physical meetup. So we had a stage, and then the organizer was kind of an admin in the platform, and they could claim the stage. 
and push people into the stage. So for example, in the beginning, they did an introduction. We, this is what we do. This is who we are. This is who sponsors this meetup. And then um, after that, the first talk started. So the organizer uh, introduced the speaker, put the speaker on the stage, and then the talk started. So the platform remo.com, which is remo.com, which is what they use, it is organizing tables. So that means you can claim your place in a table, and then you can speak to people in that table, and then you have a general chat and so on. So while the talk, you were having access to the people in your table as well as the stage. So you could see talk at the, at the same time as speaking to the people in your table, plus the general chats. Yeah. Okay. So, so they're trying to solve the problem of, of you know, there's a hundred people in the chat room and it just, yeah. like YouTube live streamers and that sort of stuff. This is just like hundreds of comments and it all makes no sense. Correct. Yes. It, it goes from a chaotic, unorganized, um, you know, stream of comments into a small group of people who sit together in a table and can have a focused conversation. Yeah, okay. And it's actually, in some ways, <laughs> the networking is kind of better then, right? Because it's kind of convenient for you to talk to people. Yeah, actually, funny thing is, through that platform, in, at some point, we had three people from the Technical Steering Committee of Node.js in the meetup. Three people from wow. a group of six people. Wow. That is completely impossible in a physical meetup. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So it, the software that you use seems seems like it's important, right? So if you had just used ordinary Zoom, it probably wouldn't have worked as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it would have worked in a different way. I think the software that you use for something like that, it is basically deciding how the event flow is going to go. I mean, let's let's put an example of one of those platforms where you have a limit of 150 people and then they join. And it's, it's one way. So you have the general chat, which as we spoke before is chaotic. So it's not very focused. And then you have the speaker and the admin, which are the ones that can talk. So the admin introduces the speaker and then the speaker speaks and so on. There is no networking afterwards. There is no networking prior to the event. And that's a webinar. Mm. So to me, that is a different type of event. So what a meetup is. So a meetup is more about the pizza and the beer and talking to people. As we cannot have pizza on remotes or beer, we have to talk to people. And I think that was super cool. The way that, you know, that tool models the, the attendees, to me, was spot on. Yeah, these are all things that we're kind of discovering. I, I look forward, actually, to, to seeing what the tooling companies come up with because yeah. it's going to be very interesting. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about, because we, we've had various guests on the podcast over the two or three years, we've, we've been running it, uh, who don't speak English as a first language. They, they, yeah. they give talks where English is their second language. I'm, I've always found that really impressive. <laughs> I lived in Germany for a while, and I had to give a few small presentations inside my company in German, and I was terrible, and it was really, really difficult. <laughs> I mean, for, for, for people whose first language is not English, especially in the technical world, because English is, is used so much for programming and that sort of stuff, and who are thinking of speaking. What's your advice? What pathway do they take to get to where you are now? What I will do, and that worked very well to me, is go and do it. It doesn't matter where. Just you know, find a local meetup. Funny thing is, at least in tech, it's really hard to find speakers for local events. So if you want to run your meetup once a month, good luck finding speakers. Because not so much people wants to do it. Yeah. Go and do it. Just, you know, prepare something that you are working every day. 
if you are working in nothing fancy, which is, you know, can happen, talk about something normal. Talk about something you feel comfortable with and, you know, how to store data in a database. What have you learned about transactionality? And, you know, how to set up a development environment, whatever. I mean, people will like it. People are 60% in the meetup for the networking, 40% for the talk. And they are very forgiving. So do it. That is going to get you into the track as even if it was bad, it's not as bad as you thought it was going to be. And then the second talk will be better. The third one will be better. And at some point, you are going to click and you are going to say, well, I have this completely under control. So obviously, not all the talks are going to be the same because some days you will be exhausted. Some other days you will be completely fresh. And that's going to change with time. But it gets up to a point where you don't even need to prepare a lot. So I remember two last year, possibly, one local meetup, the, one of the speakers fell last minute and the other speaker wasn't feeling too well. And he was like, yeah, I can go to the stage and speak myself. And they were like, about what? And I have like 16 or 17 prepared talks and I don't need to do any rehearsal. Wow. Just yeah. get the slides, have a quick read before, and then do the speak. That's it. Yeah, and I mean, you are exactly the sort of person if you if you're running a conference, <laughs> conference organizers take note, right? Oh well, <laughs> having speakers that can fill in because that's always happening at conferences, right? That, that yeah. some speaker their flight gets delayed, they eat the wrong type of curry the night before, or just crazy stuff happens. Yeah, they have to drop. They have to drop out. It's always happening at conferences. It is the same with the classes. I mean, I, I remember a couple of classes which I was running crazy at work. And then I didn't have enough time to prepare the class. My advice is if you are going to prepare something, I mean, if you have enough time to prepare something, do it. If you don't have enough time to prepare it, don't do any preparation. Because if you are going to do half of the preparations that you need, it's going to be as bad as not preparing anything. So save that time, sit back, relax. And remember, you are going to be speaking to people who wants to learn about things that you do on a daily basis. So you have the high ground in there. You only need to speak to people who are learning. Um, and that's 90% of the conferences. It's the same as writing a book. Um, I wrote three books. And my first book, I didn't even know Node.js. So and my book was about Node.js. And I was talking to a... You already learned. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to a friend and, and he told me, well, you're writing a book for people who are in your position. So it's the perfect position because you are going to be learning at the same time. And then people who read your book who want to learn Node.js are going to be resonating a lot with the problems that you're having and solving in the book. Yeah. So it's the same with speaking. Yeah, and they call it the curse of knowledge, right? If you're an expert, yeah. you make too many assumptions. Exactly. You think people know stuff. Yeah. If you're going through the same experience. That's a good um, hack. <laughs> I want to learn something. Did you do the same with Kubernetes? <laughs> oh, I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> Super funny thing is um, I am lecturing now Kubernetes in college as well. And I have about three classes to make them understand what Kubernetes is. And that's a real struggle because wow. it's people who comes with no experience. So I need to find a subset of features which I want to explain. And then some of them after months come back to me and say, oh, I learned this and that and that. And now I, I have a job in Kubernetes. So what I usually do is give them the, you know, this phrase of uh, give a man fish and he will be fed for a day. Mm. Give him a rod and he will be fed for the rest of their life. So that's what they try to do. How do you do that with Kubernetes? Because Kubernetes is this massive uh, software deployment system, right? And yeah. there's, just, there's just reams and reams. Of, there's just so much stuff that you could learn. 
Yeah. Do you focus on principles without doing anything practical? What I focus is actually on principles. So I just draw them in the wall or in the shared whiteboard. What will be to me the perfect deployment system? So they are software professionals, okay? Or people who are interested in software. They all had the problem of deploying a system at 4 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. So we don't yeah. want to do that. How do we avoid that? We avoid that by doing continuous delivery. And how do we do continuous delivery? We need to make our applications friendly to that. And then we need to find a system which will do it for us because we don't want to be awakened if something goes wrong. And then explain them, draw the full picture. And then I give them a piece of sand saying, hey, with this tool, you can do this. But you also can do this, this, and that. We are only going to see the principles, but here's the documentation if you want to learn more. So by the end of the three classes, they are able to deploy uh, an application into this massive deployment system, which is Kubernetes, without like a completely no frills deployment. Okay. So nothing accessory, no secrets, nothing else. And then it clicks to them. At some point, they are like, this is cool, but I need to know how to send a password to my application. I need to know how to save the state. I need to know how to do. And then they keep pulling and pulling and pulling. Yeah. You've created enough context yes. around that that small kernel of, of the no frills application that they're empowered to learn the rest of the stuff. Exactly. Which brings me on to the, the final topic I wanted to cover, which is like everybody else, you're adapting to the pandemic and that situation that's going on. So you've decided to take these public speaking skills that you've learned and the teaching skills that you've learned and turn them into an online webinar. Yeah. Really interesting. So tell me about that. Well, it's actually going to be a series of webinars. It's going to be four of them, actually. Yeah. More than a webinar, it's going to be kind of a short crash course on how to build an application with GraphQL, how to deploy the application, and how to monitor the application. I mean, just the full end-to-end bones of DevOps. So how do you go from a traditional Node.js JavaScript application? And then what do you need to do for this application to be successful in a DevOps environment? Why am I doing that? Well, because I think there is a lot of demand on people wanting these skills. Like companies are going crazy trying to find uh, professionals who can do the full end-to-end. So again, like not having to go extremely deep into details allows me to, in a series of only four webinars, give to people the context that they need to start working with it. But also these webinars, as um, you know, COVID is going to be with us for a long time, it's going to be a mixture of a webinar plus a Q&A session. So people will be able to ask questions and I will be there to answer them. So at the end of the day, what we are going to get is like a compressed course of Kubernetes, of GraphQL, of application testing, application deployment in four classes which are going to be interactive as well. This is the kind of thing that would have been done in a classroom scenario, perhaps through a training company before. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because the COVID situation has kind of opened up the possibility to to just do it now directly, go to the people directly. Correct. Yeah. And um, I mean, the digital product era is what I think is going to happen next. 10 years ago, people will not be willing to pay for digital products for some reason. But nowadays, like... Like a, a month ago, I had a revelation. Like there is a lot of people making a living out of subscriptions, online courses, uh, online consulting. And I was like, why don't I do that? I mean, I wrote three books. I work as a DevOps engineer. I lecture in, in college. And the, the funny thing that clicked on me to do that was people who comes into my classes in the higher diploma, 
about 30% of them signed up into the professional courses. So that means people who came to my classes like them, and then they want more. So they sign up. Yeah. So you got some validation that your teaching style works. Exactly. Or, I mean, it's not perfect, can be much better, but I think it's good enough for some people to take benefit of my experience. I mean, I wish 10 years ago, I had someone who was 10 years into the market and come back to me and tell me, don't do this, don't do that. And these are the reasons. So that's what I want to focus into on the webinar. The challenge here, though, is you're going to be delivering this from your home, presumably, because we're all working from home now. Yeah. Live. So it's presenting to a screen. Yes. I find it difficult. Well, it's not going to be easy, but it's not going to be perfect. Okay. So it's going to be live coding. I'm going to be coding the application on the webinar. And that might be a complete failure, but I've done it a few times with my students. I actually do it pretty much every week. and. I can tell you that people likes looking at you as, oh, this guy is having the same problem as I have. He needs to stop and Google for that. Uh, so I'm okay. not going to remove that from the webinar. What I'm going to do is, if I don't know how Jest for unit testing works, I'm going to open a browser, Google Jest quick start example, and then integrate that into the code. So that's going to show to people who are not allowed into programming, the mechanism of someone who has been programming for several years, and what do you do when you are blocked? Yeah, it's not sterilized, right? It's the real-life programming. Correct, yes. Because that uh, stereotype of developer knowing everything, well, if you see my Google search history, you will be scared. Because <laughs> even for the most basic things, I need Google. Yeah, if you think about it, like a working programmer, you can't, you just, there's just too much. You can't memorize it. Exactly. And that's why I, I don't agree with all these silly um, interview questions they have these days, you know, where it's, you have to, talk about stuff you've memorized or memorize how specific algorithms work. Exactly. It's the problem I have with the Crazy. certification. So I, I was reading some certification questions from AWS like last month. And one of the questions was like, what is the amount of memory for a metadata in an S3 bucket? Uh, and it was like... That's, that's crazy. Like that's, It doesn't matter. Google knows that. Why should I know it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the perfect example is the, the way that you taught Kubernetes, right? Where you were teaching the powerful principles. Yeah. And then that's useful. Yeah. It is super funny when, when, even when we were presential in a class, I tell to my students on the on class exams, you can use as many materials as you want. And they go with what? And it's like, well, you know, I want to make sure that with your resources, you are able to solve a problem. So the problem is here. This problem, you're going to have it in two years in your workplace. If you can solve that, I'm happy with that. Use whatever you want. Because even having Google and Stack Overflow doesn't, doesn't make it easy sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, sometimes it's just you, you got to use like um, the binary search to like to figure out what set of configuration parameters actually work. Exactly. I mean, it, it's super funny because I mean, even, even talking about algorithms, I don't know any algorithm out of my mind. I know what the complexity is. And I know that if I'm going to repeat one algorithm several times for every element on the array, I want to have a low complexity. Yeah. So what I will do then is I will do an investigation Find the best possible solution and then apply. Yeah, and it depends on the context, right? Implementing a linked list or implementing a, an algorithm in production code is crazy. Yeah. Right? Because it's so easy to get it wrong. Correct. Yeah. You have to use a library anyway. Yeah, I mean, I always compare with civil engineers. Like, I have a friend who is a civil engineer. He doesn't know the pipe size. He doesn't know the concrete density out of his mind. He has a book. I am the same. I have Google. So yeah. if I want to implement something, 
I'm not going to implement it myself. I'm going to search for a box solution. And if I can't find it, then I will implement it myself. The only code that does not have any books is the code that you don't write. That's it. Yeah. And it's because you're at home in your development environment that you always use. In a way, it's easier for you in this webinar to kind of show that process. It's it, yeah. like if you're, if you're standing up, you know, giving a meetup or, or a conference talk on a stage. Yeah. It's a different feeling, isn't it? Like you, you don't feel yeah. as free to show the real development cycle. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll certainly look forward to it. BoxGig, of course, is helping you out with that. We should just put that in. Yes. Lay all the cards on the table. David, thank you so much. Uh, it has been fantastic talking to you. Best of luck with the webinar. And I hope to see you speak live eventually. <laughs> soon again. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com slash speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com, who helped make this podcast possible. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, and step forward. <laughs>